everybody in Boston is killing it. It's like, no, you're no, you're not. Ninety five percent of the time, you're screwing up. And like the five percent of the time where you win, it's like the greatest thing ever. Like that's what business is. Like if you're a CEO and your job every day is to show up and fix things that are broken. That's all you do. There's very, very little light at the end of the tunnel spiking the football in the touchdown. Like that doesn't happen that often. Welcome to Babson Bill, where we showcase Babson founders and entrepreneurs, people who have tried, failed, and tried again. They're the change makers, the disruptors, the hustlers, and the builders. These are their stories. Hi, everyone. My name's David Finger, and today I feel extremely lucky to be sitting down with Chris Jacobs for this week's episode of Babson Built. Chris is the founder and CEO of Honest Discounts, a prescription discount card company saving people hundreds of millions on medications. He's an angel investor in 11 startups and a limited partner at Vestigo Ventures, a VC company focused on fintech. Not only was he in the inaugural class of the Summer Venture Program here at Babson, he helped found it. Chris, you probably know a lot of people try to start businesses while they're here at Babson, and you managed to start three. How did you balance being a student and starting a business? Yeah, that's pretty easy. I was a horrible student. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was like I knew at a very, very young age. Like I, I'll never forget. I was in sixth grade in math class. I'm severely dyslexic. I was horrible at school. School for me on a daily basis kind of felt like a prison. Like it was just, I knew from a very young age that there was no way that me being successful in this ecosystem, and I can articulate it way better now that I'm older, but I just knew from a very early age that this was not going to determine whether I was going to be successful or not. So when did you discover that it was entrepreneurship that was really going to be your avenue for success in life? When I was in sixth grade, my mom had given me an article, and I don't remember where it was published, but it was an article about Richard Branson, essentially how he was terrible at school, dyslexic, and his avenue for being successful was through being an entrepreneur, which I didn't know what that was, nor could I pronounce it or spell it. And I read this article in sixth grade in a math class, and I was like, yeah, that's it. So when I was in like maybe second or third grade, like basically when I was big enough to hold a leaf blower... My dad took me and my little brother to Home Depot and bought us two leaf blowers. We had to pay him back. But he bought us two leaf blowers and like retrofitted them so that we could carry them. Because we get tired. With a full tank of gas, we'd get tired within 15 minutes just trying to hold them. And they're pretty, they're pretty powerful, right? So our first company was, was just raking leaves in the summertime or in the fall. And then we would do – we would shovel driveways in the winter but not as much because we ski race. So, Is that your dad's so idea? Or, or no, it was like, – no, it was like – no, no, it was it was me and my brother's idea. Like, we, you know, there was no allowance. There was no like my parents taught us from a very early age what it meant to like earn a buck. So like my dad would 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 have us go around the house, whether it was outside or inside. And we would like negotiate with him on how much we would get paid to do, to do certain things. Wow. And so like from a very early age and I don't think he did it as like the I'm going to turn my kids into like savage business people or anything. I think he was just seeing where we grew up, like a lot of kids just being handed everything. Like I bought all my own lacrosse equipment. I bought my own ski equipment. And those sports for me were everything. Like as soon as I got out of school, it was like going to practice was like my outlet and something that I really love to do. So from a very early age, they they knew what was important and they kind of 
use that as like leverage to teach us how to earn money and like work really, really hard to get to where we want to get. So it's clear that your parents had a strong influence in the way that you developed into an entrepreneur. And we were talking earlier and I had to cut it out for the sake of time, how both of our grandparents were immigrants and really had this American dream story. How much do you credit the way your family raised you and the way they were raised to the way that you developed and the way that anybody develops into an entrepreneur? Growing up with like real struggle where you really have to figure it out is 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 paramount. Like I, I just – and I see it. It's interesting. Like as my Babson career kind of progressed, like you meet kids from all walks of life here, yeah. right? You meet kids that come from horrible backgrounds, broken families, no money, the whole deal to billionaire heiress to – you know, whatever company or family business, right? You meet all types of people, right? And I think the, the, the more and more, like as my journey kind of went on, the kids that I identified with, no matter how tough their background was or how privileged their background was, like the way that they were raised was all almost identical. I tended to hang out with athletes because I played sports, but they were all extremely competitive. They all worked really, really hard. And even if they had like some level of privilege, th- their parents educated and raised them in a way where they worked really hard for what they were achieving. Yeah. Because at a certain point, your parents aren't there to help you along anymore. Like if you're going to start a business yeah. and it's going to be profitable and successful and going to sell them the whole thing, like you have to put in the work. There's no, there's no getting around that. So let's, let's hear about that work. What was your first business when you were here at Babson? I came to Babson in the fall of 2006. And yeah, the easiest thing to do was just start basically exactly what my dad did, which was like a coupon book yeah. company. Like it was just a direct mail company. Okay. So it started in FME, at, which kind of sucked because I was like, it was my idea, but I wanted to do it outside of class. But then I realized I could be the CEO and like, oh, maybe I could get an A in this class. I didn't. And like I could do really well. Like this would be an easy win. But then... I couldn't make – we had to donate the money, which we donated to the Nativity School. It was great. We met a whole bunch – like I'm, I'm really happy that's the way it worked out, right? So then that summer I stayed on campus and it was called the College Saver. Dumbest name ever. Really, really primitive company. So I went to like Nick's Pizza, Tianfu, which is now Whole Foods unfortunately, great Chinese restaurant. I had dry cleaners. I had auto body shop. Like basically every service off of campus that a student would need we provided in a discount coupon like, booklet. Like Groupon a little bit for students? Yeah, but not – like the discounts weren't, I would say, as extreme. Like very much more like Red Plum, Velasis, Valpac, okay. just, you know, coupons, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I paid I – I don't remember who was working the mailroom at the time, but every semester I paid him 100 bucks. He let me in at like 7.30 at night and I would stuff all of the uh, – all of the uh, the mailboxes with each booklet, I would put them in dorm rooms, and it worked, man. It paid for my first two to three years of school. Wow, that's an incredible example of asking for forgiveness, not for permission. So I know Coupon Book was only your first of three businesses here at Babson, and you moved on to an energy company called Emergent. At what point amongst balancing coursework and Coupon Book did you decide, hey, I'm going to go for it and start a third business? I mean, a second business. Uh, after that, I, ha- I was in E-Tower. So freshman year, second semester, I started hanging around the E-Tower kids. I applied and 
was living in the tower at the beginning of my sophomore year. And that, like, changed the game for me at Babson. I was finally around people that were just like me in a lot of ways. Just they knew that – and some of them are great students, but they knew that academics weren't everything and that there's way more to this campus and this environment. So, yeah, so I was in E-Tower and I met these kids from Tufts University. I don't know how they ended up in E-Tower. They were on campus for – some. anyway, I meet these kids. They're all engineers. They have no sales skills. And um, they were really smart. I, I didn't know anything about renewable energy. But at that time, so this is like 2008, somewhere in there. So financial crisis is like full on right now. Bear Stearns went under. And oil was about to hit 120, 130 a barrel. So like somewhere, I think it got to 140 at one point, if I'm not mistaken, right? So oil is at 140. I'm like, oh, it seems like good timing. And it was simple. We had these what we call GRAs or general resource assessments that would master plan wind power development and or solar development for a municipality, a school, a real estate owner, like you name the entity. If they have a land resource, we would charge them 3500 bucks to thirty grand to figure out how they could responsibly foster wind power development, what the economic impacts were, so on and so forth. So that – I mean, that pretty much paid for my education at Babson, right? Uh, along along with you, College Saver. How did you find that opportunity of all things? So they were just hanging around E-Tower. And I just started talking with these kids. And th- then I was like, listen, who's running sales? Wow. So College Saver, a coupon company, moving into kind of a sales co-founder role at Emergent in a renewable energy company. And then you end up back as the founder and still CEO of Honest Discounts as you graduate Babson. So can you tell me a little bit more how you went from emergent to honest discounts? So we were named business week's top young entrepreneurs, like 16 months later, uh, I was a senior and as exciting as emergent was and as, and the team I worked with to this day, I have a lot of respect for those guys. They're really smart people. They've all gone on to do like unbelievable things since emergent. The, the thing for me was, is like, there was, there was five guys on the team and for us to go from zero to 10 million in sales was like that path was very, very difficult. Like very, the sales process was really, really long. We didn't like, we didn't have any investors. Like it was just, yeah. it was going to be very hard for me to meet my kind of financial and just overall life goals doing that. Right. And then that's what, you know, led into to honest discounts and, and starting that, which we can get into. I love that you took a step back and were aware enough of not only the company's potential, but aware enough of the lifestyle that you wanted to live and saw that there was a gap. You decided that if you're going to put your heart and soul and a whole bunch of time into starting a business, that it needed to support the lifestyle you wanted to live. And I think a lot of us don't do that um, when we think about starting a company. So huge lesson there. Uh, so tell me about how you how Honest Discount started then and where it started and where it is today. The original idea was not in prescription discount cards. The original idea was to create like the kayak.com of dental plans. So there's all these kind of ancillary dental plans out there that are not insurance that, first of all, dental insurance is bullshit. Like what you actually get, I have like the best dental insurance and I was really digging into it. It's complete crap. So um, so we were looking at, I was, and by we, I mean I, was looking at, how to essentially buy state, aggregate, and then sell these dental plans and basically help people figure out which, which, which product was the best for them. 
there's a tremendous amount of regulations around selling health-like insurance products that are not actually insurance, like crazy regulations. I was like, oh man, this is going to be tough. So when I, in that process, I had signed up for a whole bunch of them and one of them sent me a free prescription discount card. I was like, what is this? So I started digging into it and then I called a company that's one of our biggest competitors now and I actually signed, I was like, do you have an affiliate program? How does this work? Can you get paid? Blah, blah, blah. It's free. How do you guys make money? I just asked a million questions. Yeah. So the original product, we were just an affiliate of another company for like four or five months. And originally it wasn't, I didn't have this grand idea of building out a discount card company. I'm like, oh, could I make five to 10 grand a month doing this? And that was it. Like this would be an interesting thing to do after college, right? And as, as soon as I really learned way more about the product, I was like, oh, I could strip this down and completely rebuild it from the ground up and build something way, way better and deploy it in a way from a marketing perspective that nobody else is doing, which was mostly digital at the time. I mean, think this is 2010, 11, 12. iPhone had not been out that long. Android just had hit the market like within a couple of years, like 2008, nine, something like that. Android came online. So... From a digital perspective, I felt like that was our way to cheaply acquire customers. So when did you decide to go and seek out funding? You know, basically, like, we had the product, we had proven it, customers were using it, we had a little bit of traction, and we needed the dollars to, to push operations and marketing. That was basically it. More marketing than operations. In fact, it's interesting. We've actually spent way more money on operations now, but to, like, a way greater level because we didn't make those investments early on. We did we like did it really old school in a lot of ways. Like people would be shocked at how primitive it was in the first three, four years. Uh so I got an initial chunk for the first year, and then I got another chunk, the remainder of it, for the second and third year. And then I I had I had a Series A offer that I turned down, and then we had three, no, four acquisition offers. We turned all those down wow. as well. So it was the summer of two thousand. 13, so that was three years in, we had a $2.75 million Series A offer on the table. That might have been 14. No, 13. Somewhere in 2013. I turned it down because I wanted to, we, we had experienced a tremendous amount of growth from January of 13 to like September of 13, and, and it continued after that. And in that growth, I was like, man, we should raise more money and, and kind of capture the valuation when we can and we're just going to take off like a rocket ship. And then I was like, do I really want to answer to these people every day? The answer was no. And okay, well, what am I going to accomplish with that money? And the answer was like, well, if I just, I I have a six month problem. Like in terms of this cash and what we would do, if I wait six months and just keep doing what I'm doing, we're going to be able to do it anyway. So is anybody going to beat us to market in six? Like, no. Yeah. Everybody in our industry at the time were complete dinosaurs. Yeah. So it's like I, I wasn't worried about not being first to market with whatever marketing strategy. It doesn't matter. It yeah. just we had a six month problem. So that was it. Every entrepreneur starts somewhere. Are you looking for your beginning? The Blank Center for Entrepreneurship is where Babson's emerging entrepreneurs connect with the events, workshops, mentoring, and competitions that they need to build their businesses. This spring, the Blank Center will present its new venture competition, the Beta Challenge, which recognizes Babson businesses for taking action. Join the Babson community on Thursday, April 11th at the Beta Challenge finale. 
and watch the top alumni and student teams compete for more than $200,000 in cash and prizes. To learn more, please visit www.babson.edu slash beta challenge. What other major piece of advice would you give entrepreneurs who are going through and deciding if they should or should not raise money? I think entrepreneurs really forget that or or don't understand that there is such a thing as growing too fast. Like I think you have to have patience. You know, I think with, with Brittany at Butini very specifically, she in the early days, she was all worried about Glam Squad. Glam Squad raised a whole bunch of money. They were this hot VC company. It was, you know, you want your your hair and makeup done. They show up within an hour or two. And, you know, Brittany was all worried that Glam Squad was going to take over the world. And I'm like, Brittany, they they are trying to grow so fast because they raise venture money that they are not focused on the brand. They are not focused on the experience. And and it's only a matter of time before this thing either crashes and burns or they're going to fire everybody and have to raise a whole bunch, which is what happened. They fired the CEO and they had to raise a bunch bunch more money and, and, and go through some serious turmoil. If you just take your time and do things the right way, it, yes, it's going to take longer. There's no doubt about that. But the foundation of what you're building is going to be so much more solid, right? And then I think in terms of like raising money and cash flow and aligning that with inventory and so on, Morgan and Molly, like that that was a struggle with court. Like we were selling too much product. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were, without giving too much information away, like we would, we would miss a certain amount of sales because we simply ran out of inventory. And this, this happens with companies everywhere. You know what I'm saying? Like sneaker company, whatever. This, this happens to everybody. And so I think that the, the, the mentality of, of raising venture capital and the way that everybody talks about how fast and explosive their companies are is bullshit. Like you hear how about everybody in Boston is killing it. It's like, no, you're no, you're not. Ninety five percent of the time, you're screwing up, yeah. and like the five percent of the time where you win, it's like the greatest thing ever. Like that's what business is. Like if you're a CEO and your job every day is to show up and fix things that are broken, that's all you do. There's very, very little light at the end of the tunnel, spiking the football and the touchdown. Like that doesn't happen that often. It's putting in the work every single day. That's the way it is. So. I think people really forget that like in the early days, I would try and go after the biggest customers and I would just get laughed out of the room. Like I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know my pitch. Like I think nailing down a real sales pitch takes a year to sometimes two or three years to really get it down. Yeah. Like, you know, my sales pitch in the early days was way too long. Nobody knew what the hell I was talking about. And there is such a thing as as going after a big customer too early. So we dialed it down. We went after customers that I could win. And then now there's no customer on, uh, in this country that I can't win. How do you not let all those failures from <clears throat> rejection early on really stop you from moving forward or building up fear that stands in your way as opposed to pushing you from behind? Listen, fe- fear is like th- – this is another thing too. Like people – our life in – we're so goddamn lucky to live in America. Like we're so – forget Trump and all political bullshit right now. Whether you like or hate Trump, it doesn't matter. We are so lucky to live in this country and as in general, like, listen, there's certainly a lot of people in tough situations in this country. There's no doubt about that. But in general, we are so remarkably comfortable 
in our lives, and I think it's a horrible thing. So I've been focusing on this a lot over the last two years. Like I went to Alaska. I was like 10 feet away from a bear. Like my fishing guide was like 100 yards away, and like this, it was like an unbelievable situation. But when you put yourselves put yourself in really uncomfortable situations, most of that is in my life is through physical activity. So boxing or like skiing in the backcountry or something like that. I think you're triggering a fear mechanism that's deeply ingrained in who we are as people, right? Like if you think about life, even 200 years ago, you had to deal with wildlife and storms. It's just all you couldn't, I can't walk into my apartment and just lock in, you know, when, when we have a snowstorm, like you couldn't do that 200 years ago. So I think forever we were running away from tigers and bears and all these, this, this crazy, and we were at war forever, right? And now our lives are remarkably comfortable and people don't experience struggle like they used to. And I think that's a huge problem. I found the struggle growing up as, so school was a struggle, but it was never something I thought that overcoming would get me to where I needed to get to. But like like sports, football, lacrosse, uh, playing golf, like that requires incredible mental focus uh, and ski racing. Like, so I grew up ski racing, which is a very individual sport. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely insane. You go down the mountain at 80 miles an hour. The risk is just out of control, right? I can't believe that I used to do that. <laughs> um, and so, so triggering those mechanisms in your brain to me and overcoming that when you get to the other side, like I, I don't know anybody who's ever said I did a really hard workout and then regretted it. Unless I got injured, right? Yeah. Like it's you all, it always feels better on the other side. So I think like people's idea of, of what, and I, and I guess this ties in very closely to, to, to being entrepreneurial. Like I think people want to be entrepreneurs. So in a lot of ways, they have this perception where they want to be an entrepreneur so they can make a bunch of money and sell the company and then buy an island and tell everybody to fuck off and, and do whatever they want. Like that's not, how long are you going to sit on that island and, and drink my ties? And, 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 and like, that's the life that you want. It's no, like, I think having obstacles that you overcome all the time, like to me, that's what, that's what life is about. It makes it worth living. What, what obstacle to go tackle next? I've never sat down and been like, I need to figure out the next opportunity or I need to. Like I've never had to analyze different opportunities and decide which one I'm going to do. I've always just kind of fallen into the next thing. Interesting. Right? So if you kind of fast track honest discounts four or five years later, like starting to make some cash flow, so on and so forth, I got into angel investing. Yeah. And it was simply because I was at a dinner with a whole bunch of friends. I was the only one not raising money. Uh, fan buy from Blank Label, another E-Tower kid, really smart guy. He was raising money at the time. And I was sitting around like all these guys are really, really smart. And they're all raising money. Why would I not cut them a check? And so I just started writing checks and then became an angel investor. It was wow. as simple as that. For the companies that you choose to invest in. I have like a loose thesis that is proving to be true, let's say, right? Uh, every investment that I have could still bomb. Who knows? But so far, it looks like we have, a, I've picked some good winners, right? Butini being one, Blank Label being another. Zeal is another investment of mine. They do on-demand massages. Zeal's, I can't tell you how much revenue they're going to do, wow. but um, they're absolutely killing it. Yeah. So basically the, the, the first kind of thing that I look for is, and this is very anecdotal and, 
and very much of my own personal experience and how I feel about that person. I just is the founder a killer? Yeah, like that. That's number one. If I don't think the founder is a straight killer, I'm out. So I'm generally out on like Harvard consultants. I don't think they're killers, right? Like when it gets really, really tough, how do I think this person's going to react, right? Do they feel like they have to have a safety net? Do they have to have a certain level of a salary to start the company? You know, like that kind of stuff. So is the founder a killer? The second thing is, is is the current round of financing going to get them to break even or to a place where they don't have to raise more money, which is generally break even, right? That like I that that's a pretty big stipulation of mine. I don't invest in companies where the success is predicated on them raising another round. Gotcha. There's plenty of people that do that. Some do it successfully. I think a company like Uber or Facebook, like that, those companies don't get built without that type of strategy. Um, but for me, I, I I just it's just how I built built honest discounts from the beginning. And yeah, it's it's just how I prefer to build companies, yeah. right? You might lose, like you might never get that 10x valuation, yeah. but I don't know. I, I just think the chances of success are much, much higher. And then <clears throat> the third criteria is, can I have a, a, a decent impact without joining the, I'm on the board of Butini, but um, can I have a decent impact effective immediately with my network and resources and just mm-hmm. overall help? Yeah. Right, like how much can I help them within the next 12 months? And then hopefully I never have to talk to that person yeah. again. We're running out of time. I want to ask you three more quick questions. First, what insights do you have when it comes to finding a co-founder as well as building out a team? Then the expansion of that into yeah. the team. So I think co-founders can be very, very important to... A lot of people, and there's obviously a million and one examples of people building companies that have co-founders, right? No one's going to dispute that. For me, you know, I don't like the idea of answering to people. um, And I'm just too independent and too, I don't know, I just, I I, I operate so much by instinct. And that served me really well. And I just know myself and that's just the solution for me, right? In terms of building out the team, I think a lot of people focus on their weaknesses and how to try and develop those weaknesses. I'm not like that. I double down on what I'm good at and that's it. So like, for example, you know, we have a lot of contractors with, with HD, so we don't have a lot of employees and it's just always been that way. And really there's no reason for us to hire a whole, a whole big team. But, um, so we have a lot of sales contractors of people who have been in the industry and then come work with us and, and we pay them like they're, well, yeah, like they're contractors, right? And they own their own companies. They white label the product, so on and so forth. But for me, so operations, I'm not great at. So Krista, she's the head of operations of Honest Discount. She crushes it. So onboarding new clients, making sure clients are taken care of, making sure payments go out, so on and so forth. She's great at that. Kelly, my accountant, is an absolute rock star. She, like, for me, accounting, complete disaster. I'm severely dyslexic. So I'm probably on the phone with her every other week, um, constantly figuring out our tax situation, projections and you know what I'm going to make this year, what we can afford to spend and when that is massively important. Um, so I put a premium in terms of dollars, like legitimately on operations and accounting. Like I think, I think accounting, the second you start making more than 250 grand, accounting is paramount. Yeah. You would be shocked at how much money people waste. It's unbelievable. Um, 
So, I, you know, I think of a team as just like look at your strengths and just hire for the weaknesses, yeah. you know. All right. Two more questions. First, what do you think is the most important thing students should focus on during their time here at Babson? Or people to accomplish great things, no matter how big or small, at Babson should be the objective of your four years here. Yeah. I think that if your focus and, – and I have nothing against kids – who are really smart academically and are going to get great jobs in finance or become entrepreneurs or accounting or whatever, like whatever you want to do that that's totally fine. I just would really encourage kids to maximize the opportunities outside of the classroom because that's the value here on campus. I, I genuinely believe that like the E-Tower kids. So E-Tower's got this really cool system right now where if you're not working on a company, what they'll do is one of two things. One Help another entrepreneur in the tower advance their company forward, okay? And the outcome of that is, you know, baseline, you're going to learn something. And hopefully maybe you join that company or you learn something that helps you start something else, right? So they'll do that. Or they'll connect with an alumni who they'll work for them for free, remotely, generally speaking. And then the alumni will donate money back to eTower, which is what I did. All right, last I got to ask, you work on so many things. What's next for you? What the next opportunity is, I really don't. Um, You know, with HD, I think that there are products adjacent to HD that could be really interesting. Um, But I think based on the clients that we've signed over the last 18 months, uh, we have a lot of growth ahead of us. Mm -hmm. So I'm most excited about that. It's what gets me up every day. Like I'm, I'm really pumped about what I'm doing there. We're saving people hundreds of millions of dollars on medications. Um, So the impact is huge. And yeah, I'm excited to be running HD right now. You know, it's, it's, I think like over the, like as the company has grown, it's, it's, it's like a whole new company and it just presents all of these really, really deep, complicated problems that, you know, looking back when I first started it, like, I can't believe I would stress about x y or z like it was just so simple to solve those things but but in the moment you have no idea and i'm sure i'll look back five or seven years later and be like whatever problems i think are big now are nothing yeah you know so yeah that's that's what's exciting right now thanks for listening to this week's babson built where we showcase babson entrepreneurs and founders if you have a second please subscribe rate and review the show we take feedback seriously here at babson built and it helps other listeners find us If you know a Babson entrepreneur who should be featured, email us at babsonbuilt at gmail.com.